This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Alter Rebbe is writing a letter, it's an unusual letter, pleading with the Hasidim to stop bothering him and stop coming to him and asking him questions about material, their material welfare, their material well-being, blessings for all for financial or for health matters or material matters. And he says, even though he justifies, he understands where they're coming from, he says that they're coming to the Rebbe out of their love for Hashem because... In order to serve God, you need to be healthy. So their motive is, when they're troubled by something, they run to the Rebbe, please help me so I can get back to business and serving Hashem. Relieve me of my headache, or relieve me of my problem, or my ache and pain. But here, he's frowning against the whole thing. He says, and, and this leads to a discussion of pain and suffering. How a Jew has to look at pain and suffering. The Mishnah says you have to receive pain and suffering with joy. You have to bless Hashem with pain, for pain and suffering, just like you bless Hashem for the good things and the Talmud adds, you have to receive it with joy. And we already learned already twice elsewhere in the Tanya how the Alter Rebbe Hasidus approaches, how we're still supposed to understand this Mishnah. Counterintuitive, so we learned it in chapter 26 in the first part of the Tanya, LessonsInTanya.com, and also in the letter number 11, which is also on lessons in Tanya.com. Here the Alter Rebbe is discussing taking a different approach. And this is his rebuke to the Hasidim. He says, why are you coming to me? If you have a physical, material problem, don't come to me to help you. He's not denying that he could help. In his modesty, he says, listen, only a prophet can help. But Alter Rebbe responded, he's right. He just proved the point that he is a prophet because he responded, he helped people. And he continued to help people even after this letter. And he himself writes, only a prophet can respond to material requests. Only a, a prophet can tell you, operate, don't operate. The Rebbe is not a doctor. How does he know? And to say it with such certainty, when the Torah says you have to follow the doctors, you have to follow nature. So all the doctors say, operate, comes a Rebbe and says, don't operate, with certainty. So unless he's a prophet, unless he hears God whispering in his ear, and he's 100% certain, not 99.9, he wouldn't take that chance. He's 100% certain that God is speaking to him and telling him, and he wouldn't be able to give such a, a decisive answer. Yes, life and death issues. So the Al-Turabi himself is establishing, yes, he's a prophet, and he, ha and he has answered and will answer, but here he's rebuking the Hasidim, and he's saying, he's saying, you're missing the whole point by coming to me. Why? Because you have to understand how a Jew views pain and suffering. So the Al-Jab is going to explain, he says, because the way a Jew looks at it, the proper way to look at it is, 
that it's actually an act of love because it's like, it's like a wake-up call. You're two-thirds. Is it a bad thing or a good thing? It's actually a very good thing because now you know I better run to the dentist and take care of it. If your tooth wouldn't hurt, there are people who don't feel any pain and they die. They step on glass, they bleed to death, they don't feel anything. So pain is a signal. Your body is telling you something is wrong. So what are you going to do? Take a painkiller. That's the answer. <laughs> You're driving with your car and the light goes on. There's no oil in the... In the, in the, in the not there's no gas, there's no oil. You drive in a, a tank without oil, an engine without oil, you, you'll kill the engine. And, it's, and the light is beeping and flashing and it's annoying you. So I'm going to solve the problem. I'm going to disconnect the battery. <laughs> <laughs> the light stops. Mazel tov. I've solved the problem. I'll call myself a consultant. I know how to solve problems. A child, you take a child to the doctor. Child hates the doctor. The doctor is enemy number one. No matter how many candies and lollipops the doctor gives the child, all he knows is this monster, this ogre is coming at him with a needle and sticking him. And he all the explanations in the world he doesn't, he doesn't understand. All he knows is he's terrified of the dentist, terrified of the doctor. What happens when he grows up and he's in pain? He takes himself to the doctor, calls, makes his appointment. Why are you running to the doctor? He's going to poke you. He's going to... Because you're mature. The doctor's my enemy. The doctor's is curing me. So if there's a problem, I want to address it. You know why certain illnesses like pancreatic cancer is so dangerous? Because by the time you find out, it's, it's too late. It's stage four. Because there's no symptoms. A person who's dying inside and he feels great. I feel wonderful. You feel wonderful. In 30 days, you may be in the grave. What, what do you mean you feel wonderful? I don't feel anything. So if a person feels pain, it's a signal. It's actually a healthy thing. It's a positive thing. Thank you for giving me the warning. Now I'm awake. Now I'm alert. It's a wake-up call. The alarm is ringing. Something is wrong. That's why you have fire alarms. There's a fire. Something is wrong. I know I have to do something. It's an emergency. I have to take care of it. And I can deal with the problem and, and, and deal with the root cause of the problem and solve the problem. So when a, when a Jew experiences pain and suffering, we don't look at it that Hashem is hurting us, slapping us, beating up on us. Hashem is waking us up. It's the kindest thing. And instead of running away and taking a painkiller and shutting off the alarm and going back to sleep, I shake myself and I, I wake myself up and I go and I do some soul searching and I take care of business. I do what I need to do. So the Rebbe is telling his Hasidim that's why in this letter he's reusing this point. Not the other two explanations that he explained earlier. Because those explanations 
are not relevant to the point that he's making here. He's saying, what's the point of you coming to run to me? What are you running to me? You're running to the Rebbe to alleviate you, help you alleviate, because he's a prophet, and help you alleviate you of your physical problem. It's like a painkiller. Hashem is waking you up. Hashem is telling you, get your act together. Do a little spiritual soul-searching, shaking you up. As it uses the analogy, it's like the father lovingly scrubbing the mud off his child, who rolled in the mud and rolled in the schmutz, and he's taking him to the shower and taking him to the bath and scrubbing him away. So you're going to run away. You're running away. What are you running away? I'm turning off the alarm. Wonderful. It's quiet. <laughs> Please give me some peace of quiet. It's like a child. If you're mature, you realize what's going on here. It's, it's the ultimate love. It's the ultimate kindness. Hashem is waking us up. So I should run and embrace it. Not run away from it. It's telling me that it's just a symptom of that there's something very, very wrong inside of me. And I better really get my act together. So that's what I should focus on. Get my act together. Return to Hashem. Restore my physical health. My spiritual health. If I'll restore my spiritual health and my spiritual wealth, I'll become spiritually wealthy. That will manifest in physical wealth and financial wealth. And, and, and physical health. The healthier I am, the more robust and vibrant I am spiritually for, for a Jew, that will uh, translate into robust physical health. As even modern medicine acknowledges today that most of illnesses are psychosomatic. A person is not well because they're not happy inside. They're angry. They're unsettled. They're, they're, something is eating away at them. And after a certain point, it starts affecting us physically. When we're torn inside, we're not leading a wholesome life inside. Our lives are fragmented, compartmentalized, and we're not settled, and we're not... We're torn up inside, and that's why it leads to physical health. If we're inside, we're robust, and we're healthy, vibrant, spiritually, this will translate into physical well-being. If you're emotionally healthy, will translate into physical health. If you're psychologically and, and spiritually and, and Jewishly healthy, it will translate also into physical health. So when the something is wrong, Hashem is waking us up, doing us the ultimate act of kindness. So I'll tell you, why are you running to me? You're running to the Rebbe. You, you, it's as if you don't understand what Hashem is telling you. It's not a negative. I think Hashem is slapping you in the face. Hashem is angry at you. It's the ultimate act of loving. It's the ultimate act of loving kindness. Hashem is personally waking you up. And He's pointing you in the right direction. So instead of taking that lesson, I'm running away. My father is slapping me, but he's waking me up. I'm running away. Like a little baby that doesn't understand the message, doesn't understand what's going on here. So this is childish. What, what are you doing? You don't, you're missing the whole point. And then it's truly for nothing. To make a Jew suffer and he's such a baby that he doesn't understand what it's about. And he completely reads it, mis misreads it, and he thinks that God is angry at him and God hates him. And then, then you're like a little baby. Then, the, well, then what was the point of the suffering? Then it's really a... 
then you, you continue to die inside, and you turned off the light, okay? So you got a, a band-aid. You got a little uh, band-aid. But you haven't solved anything. You haven't gone anywhere. You haven't done anything. What's the point? This is what, what Alter Rebbe is saying. That's why he's, he's saying, What's the, why are you running to me? Why are you... So he doesn't bring the other points that he, we discussed elsewhere in the Tanya. Letter number 11. This is a Jew who's such a, who reaches such a high level that he realizes and recognizes, he has that faith, that he realizes and recognizes that everything God does is good. Everything God does is good. He's not running to the Rebbe. It's good. Yeah, I'm not complaining. Like Abzusha said, I never suffered a day in my life. I don't know what you're talking about. So he's not running to the Rebbe to help him. He doesn't need any help. He's fine. He's okay. Everything that happens is good. So the Rebbe, Alter Rebbe, doesn't need to address that Jew. That Jew is not running to the Rebbe for his aches and pains. The Jew, chapter 26, who does experience the pain, experiences the pain as a slap in the face. But he realizes and recognizes that that slap in the face is really, he feels Hashem's love and intimacy. How Hashem is carrying him, Hashem is with him. Hashem only gives him a challenge that he can handle. And he feels Hashem's closeness. Ironically and paradoxically, in the suffering, he feels Hashem's closeness. Because who do you, who do you hurt? Who do you slap? Who does a parent slap? So? When you slap your child, you're slapping yourself. A stranger, you don't slap a stranger. If a stranger misbehaves, what do I care? If my child misbehaves, I care. Why do the Jewish people suffer so much? We're Hashem's children. Hashem says, you're my children. I'm not going to let you live like Vildechayas. You're my children. I'm not going to let you get away with murder. Others act that way. That's fine. You know, I mean, a, but my child's going to act this way? Not happening. So you feel the child in that slap feels the love of his parent. Feels the pain. Feels how the parent is with him and the parent cares about him enough to slap. So he feels that love. But it's a slap. It stings. He's a child doesn't appreciate the slap. He appreciates the love that's hidden in the slap. So you can understand why he's running to the Rebbe. It's a spatch. It stings. It hurts. Please, help me. Get this patch away. I can't deal with it. I don't like a sting. I don't like a patch. Slap in the face. But the Rebbe here is saying... It's time to be mature. Time to grow up and realize what's really going on here. Not a slap. Hashem is cleaning you. Hashem is waking you up. Hashem is... So don't run away from it. Run towards it. Embrace it. <coughs> Give Hashem your face and say, please, thank you for waking me up. And now I can take care of this. So that's, the, that's why the Alter Rebbe is demanding from his Hasidim why he's complaining. Why are the Hasidim running to me for help? with their financial matters, their physical matters, their aches and pains. He says, I understand that their motivation is because they want to serve Hashem, and therefore they want to be free of any distractions. That's wonderful, but they're missing the whole point of the aches and pains, of the pain and the suffering in the first place. Why would Hashem give a Jew a pain and suffering? 
If not, that it's just a wake-up call. This is analogous to a compassionate, wise, and righteous father who hits his son. Surely a wise son should not turn his back to escape and find himself help, or even an, an intercessor to his father, who is, who is compassionate, righteous, and kind. Chassid, chassid, kind. The, uh, the previous Rebbe quotes his father, the Rebbe Rashab, who, who notes, he starts out the sentence, a father who's compassionate, wise, and righteous. He does not say chassid. When he concludes the sentence, he says a father who's compassionate, who's righteous, and who's a chassid. He says, because a chassid cannot hit. When God is hitting us, at that moment you can call God compassionate, wise, definitely righteous, but you can't call God a chassid. A chassid does not hit. A chassid does everything gently. Once, Alter Rebbe when he was a Rebbe for many, many years, in his later years, the Hasidim bought him a gift. For his birthday, they bought him a gift. They bought him a Shmek Tabak. Shmek Tabak is a little uh, snuff box, a very golden snuff box. Now the Rebbe says there's one organ in the body that doesn't have any, any taivas, doesn't have any sensual urges. The, the aroma is very sublime. It's a very spiritual sense. And they want to, they want to engage that, that sense also in, in, in material indulgences. So instead, he broke the cover. That's how the, the Chassidim told the story. He broke the cover, and he took off the cover, and he used it to check his tefillin, because tefillin has to be right in the center on your forehead, in the center, parallel to the nose. So the, and Alter Rebbe's tefillin, when he would daven, would go all over the place. It says the angels used to laugh, so the Alter Rebbe used that to check his tefillin to make sure that they're on properly. When the Tzemach Tzedek heard the story, he said, it can't be. My, father, my grandfather couldn't break anything. Couldn't even break a box. Surely what he did is there was a pin that connected the cover to the box. He took out the pin and he used the cover. He didn't break. And surely he didn't break people. The whole approach of chassid, a chassid, doesn't break. Chassid, everything he does and the way he does it is also in a very gentle way. So even when you're talking about Hashem and his mercy and his righteousness and his wisdom, but he's hitting a Jew at that time. You can't call him a chassid. You call him everything and everything, but not a chassid. Because a chassid cannot bring himself to hit. The Rebbe Rashab, the previous Rebbe, said he, his father only hit him one time in his life. He never, ever, ever hit him. Hit him. He laid a, put a hand on his like a, a gent, very gentle slap. Pouch. One time in his life, what happened? What happened was that he woke up one morning, he was a child, and the uh, Rebbe Hashab said, I want you to read the blessings in the morning in front of me. 
So the previous Rebbe said, I already read the blessings. I read it privately. Because he would have him read in front of him every morning. He wanted him to read the blessings. Hear him read the blessings. So he said, Rebbe Yashav said, no, I want you to read the blessings. I didn't hear you read the blessings today. I want you to hear the blessings. So the previous Rebbe was very sharp. Even as a child, he said, okay. If I have to read the blessings for you, I'll read it. For God, I already read the blessings. If I wanted to read it for you, I'll read it again. So Rabbi Rashav gave him a slap. And he said that God entrusted the education of a child in the hands of the parents. So when I tell you to read it, you read it. This is what Hashem wants you to do. But, but, but the idea, a chassid, when God is slapping, you can't call him a chassid. You can call him every name, righteous, wise, compassionate. It's all true. But a chassid doesn't hit. It's not the way a chassid goes about. Everything he does, even the means to the end, is also uplifting, gentle, inspiring. So that's why he omits the word chassid. But then he says, is he going to go send someone to beseech on his behalf to his father that he should stop hitting him? He knows that his father is wise and righteous and compassionate. And everything that he's doing is out of love for him. And this is the most loving thing. So I'm not running away. Why would I try to run away? In this case, I would turn the other cheek and say, please. It's not a negative that you're doing. It's a positive. The pain is a wake-up call. It's a positive. Something bad, negative. The Rebbe reacts once remarked that when the Alter Rebbe first speaks of the father who punishes, he does not use the term chazet. uses it only later in the context of intercessor. The reason, says the Rebbe, is that a father who smites his child may indeed be compassionate, righteous, and wise, but he is not a chazet, for a chazet does not hit. In any event, we see that the child is truly wise. If the child is truly wise, he will not flee from punishment. Rather, he will look straight at his father face to face, bearing his smacks lovingly for his lifelong benefit. To transpose this to the analog, every Jew ought to look straight to his father face to face. Now, in the divine realm, the concept of face is the willingness and desire with which our Father in Heaven bestows upon his children all the good of the worlds, the physical and the spiritual worlds, as well as life for the soul and body. All of this he bestows out of love and willingness, out of inner desire and delight, through the Torah of life, which is, which is his blessed will that he gave unto us. Hashem loves us. And he loves us unconditionally. And therefore, everything he gives us, he gives us with his face, looking right at us. Because he's involved, he's engaged and involved. And everything he gives us, he gives us life, existence, all our needs, financial well-being, everything that we need, he gives us, body and soul. And he gives us through the Torah. That's why Hashem gives us through the Torah. Hashem wants us to deserve it to earn it to be worthy of it because he loves us 
It's very demanding. He gives those who don't worship God, those who don't believe in God, he also gives them life and sustenance and wealth and sometimes extreme wealth and success and power and influence. But he gives it, doesn't give it with a smiling face. It's like he turns his back to them. He couldn't care less about them. So he throws them a bone. Here, I I can't stand looking at you. Just take. Because he doesn't care. So he doesn't care if they're worthy, if if it's good for them or harmful for them. Success, by the way, could could be our worst punishment. Sometimes God punishes a person by making him successful. It's not, a, it's not a blessing. There are people who can't deal with success. It gets to their head and they, it destroys their lives. Most people who win lotteries, may it happen to all of us, it actually destroys their lives. It's not a blessing. It's not a blessing. It tears them apart. They're not ready, they're not worthy, they don't, they don't know what to do with it. It's like a rotten, spoiled child. It completely destroys them. They become egomaniacs. They become arrogant. They, become, they stop talking to their friends. They stop talking to their family. They stop talking to their children. I mean, it, it, it's not a, always a blessing. But Hashem, Hashem gives us with love. He wants us to be worthy. He wants us to earn it. He doesn't want to spoil us. He wants us. We should deserve everything we have. We should earn everything we have. We should be ready to internalize it, to receive it, and then it, beca- it should be a blessing. Money could be the ultimate blessing, as long as it's a means to an end, as long as you love people and use money. But when people start loving money and using people, it becomes the biggest curse, albatross. You become a slave to that money. So Hashem wants us, everything that we have should be a blessing. The materialism that we have should be a blessing. But the only way to do that is through the Torah. And the mitzvah, if we lead an observant life, and we lead a disciplined life, and we lead a divine and godly life, we act like a Jew and think like a Jew and speak like a Jew 24-7, then Hashem says, now you're ready. So it's not like Hashem says, okay, if you do the mitzvah, I'm going to reward you, and if you don't, I'm going to punish you. It's out of Hashem's love for us. He says, I want this to be a blessing. When is materialism a blessing? When you're living the 613 mitzvah. Then... Everything you have becomes a blessing. Your health, everything you have is a blessing. So that's out of love. That's why Hashem is so demanding. Why is Hashem so demanding of the Jew? He doesn't make any demands like that. Seven billion people. He doesn't make the same demands as He makes from the Jew. He demands us so much from us because He loves us so much. He wants us to really be there, to be worthy, to receive it, to be a blessing. It should, we should internalize the blessing. We should, it should be uplifting. It should inspire us. It should enhance us. It should be wholesome. He wants everything about us to be wholesome, the material, the spiritual. And the only way to do that is through the Torah and mitzvah. That's what he means. He gives us with a smile. I want you to keep Shabbat because I want all your material blessings to be a blessing. If you don't keep the Shabbat, it's not a blessing. Anything you have is not going to be a blessing. I love you too much, Hashem says, just to give you. Keep Shabbat. Keep this mitzvah. Keep the 613 mitzvah. So this is called face. Hashem gives us with His face, with His desire, inner desire, inner love for us, unconditional love for us. He really cares about us. 
personally, individually. The present passage is based on the body language that typically accompanies a gift. As explained earlier in Tanya chapter 23, one gives a gift to a good friend face to face. The giver's eyes rest on the, on the face of the recipient. Through his very stance, the giver thus expresses the fact that his gift stems from his face, punim, an innermost call, punim yot. So when he looks in your eyes and he gives you face to face, he gives it from the heart, from, the, from this is a love. When, however, when, however, one gives something to an enemy, he averts his face. This simply gives outward expression to his real aversion. The gift is not prompted by any inner desire, but by some external factor. In our context, then, God's loving willingness is showering us with his gift, as described by the metaphor of faith. It doesn't mean literally God doesn't have a face, and he doesn't have a back, but he means just like in the analogy, when you give face to face, it's an act of love. While when you can't stand someone and for expediency and for political reasons you're giving someone, you, t- you hold your nose, <laughs> you put on that false smile, or you turn your face and you just, here, take it, I don't want to see you again, I hope I never have to... But, but so when Hashem gives us, He gives us with His face, He gives us with an inner desire for our well-being, for our true well-being. As we recite in the Amidah, for in the light of your face you have given us the Torah of life with which, and through which, to carry out his will. And of this it is written, for in the light of the king's face there is life in his will. To the heathens, however, he grants the life of their bodies without willingness, pleasure, and delight. For this reason, they are referred to as Elohim, Acharim, or the gods, for they draw their life force from Akarayim, the Hindu side of divinity. Everything exists only because of the divine spark. Everything comes from Hashem. Nothing exists besides Hashem. But Hashem gives ego, arrogance, the idolaters, those who worship themselves, worship idols, those who are disconnected from God. He gives them because there's a reason why they're here. In order to give us freedom of choice and but he gives it only like he's forced to give it. He has no interest and he doesn't enjoy it and he doesn't want to give them. And whatever he gives them is completely counterproductive. It's not good for them. But he gives them like he throws it, like he turns his back and he gives. Like he throws it without pleasure, without, without will. To continue the above metaphor, the divine reluctance to grant life force to the heathens for example, the so-called external level of divine desire, is here described by a term that is the opposite of face, which expressed God's innermost will. It is likewise with man, willingness and pleasurable desire. For example, man's innermost desires relate to the face. Thus, turning to God face to face means that a man accepts willingly and with inner desire whatever is apportioned to him from the supernal face, from God's innermost desire. In our context, this refers to a willing acceptance of God's admonishments as expressed in physical suffering. Right, so it's like a mirror. You know, God is giving us. We believe that God loves us unconditionally and everything He does for us and He gives us is with His face, with His innermost desire, which is why Hashem is so demanding and expects of us to live up to a Jewish life. We respond in kind we turn our face to God. God is turning His face to us. We don't run. We don't turn our backs to God and run away. 
and look for a painkiller. We, we turn our face to Hashem. We turn, the, we turn our face and we say, Hashem, I'm here. Hineni. If one does not accept the suffering with love and willingness, it is as if he turns his neck and back on God, heaven for offense. By running and trying to alleviate the pain, running to the Rebbe, he's not talking about, listen, of course you have to run to a doctor because the Torah tells us you have to run to a doctor. You have to act naturally. If you have a problem, we don't just resign to the pain and say mazel tov. That's Islam. Islam means surrender. That's against Judaism. Judaism is you have to storm heaven and earth to, to alleviate the problem. But he's saying the answer is not why are you running to the Rebbe, he says. You're running to the spiritual leader to help you in your pain and suffering. Because this, the proper response should be a spiritual response, a personal response, a, a turning towards Hashem. How do you turn towards Hashem? What do you mean turning your face to Hashem? What do you mean turning your other cheek to Hashem? What do you mean turning your face to Hashem? So now he says what that means. The suggested advice. The suggested advice to enable one to accept it with love is God's counsel through the mouth of our Savior, such blessed memory, to examine one's conduct. Gomorrah says that if one sees afflictions befalling him, he should examine his deeds and repent. That's what it means turning to Hashem. Realizing Hashem is waking us up. It's an act of love. Hashem is, something should stir inside of us. Something should shift. Something should change internally. I don't want to deal with, Hashem is not dealing with symptoms here. When Hashem is shaking a Jew up, Hashem is trying to get to the root cause. He's trying to wake us up to change something in the root cause. If you'll shift something deep down inside, spiritually, this will shake up the tree. This will shake up your life in a positive way. This will change your whole, whatever is going on, whatever is stagnant in your life, whatever is stale and stagnant in your life, Hashem shakes us up. You give, Hashem wants us to shake ourselves up. Something should stir inside, do teshuva. Deep down inside, then something will shift. Then you can change. That's the point, that's the purpose. That's turning my face, Tasha. Getting the message. Acknowledging the message, receiving the message, and, and running with it, and doing something about it, and doing teshuva, and doing soul searching. And going deep down inside. Hashem is trying to get our attention. So I'm going to run away. I'm running to the Rebbe. Hashem is trying to get your attention. Are, are you missing the point? He said, even if the Rebbe can help you, but, but the, what was the point? It's a direct message to, from Hashem to you, to wake you up. If you don't wake yourself up, if you run to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe is a prophet, and he blesses you, and he helps you, it's wonderful, mazel tov. But you missed the point. Hashem is, is speaking to you directly, and is giving you a message, and is way, trying to get you to do a little soul stirring, a soul searching, and get, you, get yourself together. That should be the main focus. Get the point. So even though the Alter Rebbe continued to answer, and all the Rebbe's answered, even after this letter, but the point that he's making here is still a very, very valid point. He's making here, he's saying, okay, you got your blessing. The Rebbe's a miracle worker. He's a prophet. He can help you, and he will help you, and he has helped you. But don't miss the point for crying out loud, for God's sake. Don't miss the point what this is all about. 
it's a moment between you and Hashem. It's time. Hashem is telling you, wait, get yourself together, wake yourself up. Something has to shift inside, something has to stir inside of you. Don't, don't run away from that point. Embrace that point. Turn your face to Hashem and say, I got it. I've received your message. And mission accomplished. I'm going. I'm working on it. In the Jewish religion, there's no middleman. Moshe says, I stand between you and Hashem. There's no middleman as in the non-Jewish world. An intermediary that separates and divides. Uh, the Jewish idea of a middleman is more like a shatchan. It's a, it's a middleman that connects, not a middleman that divides. It draws us closer to Hashem, directly to Hashem. Just like the shatchan. He makes the shidr within you and the, the husband and wife. It's a direct connection. It doesn't get in the way. He just brings them together. That's a different idea of a middleman. That's a Jewish concept of middleman. There's no, nothing intervening. There's nothing in between. It draws them together, directly. This is what Alter Rebbe is trying to do. That's exactly the point. That's what a Rebbe is. A Rebbe, I'm the middleman. I'm bringing you together directly. I'm trying to get you face to face. The husband and wife have to talk to each other. <laughs> to face each other face to face. <laughs> I mean, you're running to the you're running to the shatchan, you're running to the rebbe, you're running to the uh, to the marriage counselor. It's very good, but the point is, the husband and wife have to face each other directly. That's what the rebbe is saying. Can you say one time that uh, the rebbe is like a knot? Correct. Correct. That's that's not, nothing other than the two ropes. There's nothing else here. So it's a direct connection between the Jew and God. That's exactly, without the, that's exactly what the Rebbe is doing here, without the Rebbe is doing here. He's being the true Jewish middleman, bringing you directly. Hashem is, Hashem is speaking to you with His face. Turn to Him, reciprocate, turn to Him with His face. You have to face each other. This is a marriage. I'm, uh, you don't need me to stand there. I need you to face, come face to face with what's going on here. And strengthen the relationship and cement that relationship. So you have to un- understand what is going on here. Hashem loves you. And it's not about slapping you around. It's a wake-up call. Did you get that message? If you look Hashem in the face, look Him in the eye, so to speak, and say, yes, I got that message. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm soul-searching. I'm shifting something. Soul stir- something is stirring in my soul, and I'm, I'm changing I'm not just dealing with symptoms here. I'm dealing with the root causes. I'm going very deep inside. Something is going to change. But if you walk away from this experience, and all you walk away with is with the blessing from the Rebbe, and the problem is gone, my God, what, what happened there? You just, you just dealt with the symptoms. You missed the whole point. Why did Hashem give it to you in the first place? He's playing games. It, it, it's out of love. He loves you too much. So he wants something is wrong inside. He needs you to, to wake up, to stir something inside, shake you a little. So you're running away. And you got the blessing, the problem is gone, and nothing changed inside. So why does the Rebbe continue to do what he was doing? <laughs> I 
as he said, a chassid doesn't break. <laughs> a chassid doesn't slap. The Rebbe's challenge was to get us to change without slapping. To get Hashem to get us to change without slapping. That's the ultimate challenge. That only a chassid can do. To accomplish the same goal, to get us to do that soul-stirring, and to get us to do that heavy lifting and inner shifting without the slap. So maybe that's the Rebbe's argument with Hashem. The Rebbe says, till the Baal Shem Tov came along, till Hasidism, that's the only way. You've got to slap him around to wake him up. Someone is drunk, you got to slap him around to sober him up. But Ad Khan, now we have to have a new approach. A chassid can hit. A chassid can even break the box of the, uh, the snuff box. Pulled out the pin. So maybe the, this is the Rebbe's way of telling Hashem, you have to come up with a different way. <laughs> this is not the way. Slapping Jews around is not the way. It's all good, it's wise, it's compassionate, it's, 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 it's righteous, it's all good. But no one is calling Hashem a chassid. A chassid cannot do that. A chassid doesn't slap. A chassid does it gently, with joy, whatever, whatever it takes. Achieving the same result. Having that inner stirrings, dealing with root causes, going deep inside. So maybe this is the Rebbe's prayer to Hashem and saying... This worked till now, but now we got to figure out a different way of doing it, of getting to Jews. Maybe if Hashem overwhelmed us with His blessings, maybe He gave us an unbelievable blessing that just wowed us and shocked us, maybe that would shock us to our senses and wake us up and get us to do some soul-searching. Who knows? The only way is through a holocaust. Maybe Hashem could have done something so positive and some, so, so unbelievable that it could have accomplished the same thing. Who knows? A chassid doesn't hit. Didn't we say before that when you're in prison, you can't get yourself out? And you need an outsider to help you out? So isn't that, isn't that why the Rebbe is there? Okay. Well, this is one form of the Rebbe telling the chassid, enlightening him and showing him what's, explaining to him what's happening. Um, but when, when pain and suffering, it's Hashem's wake-up call to us that that is something that could trigger and should trigger that inner soul-searching and that inner... Um, do we trust ourselves to do self-searching? Hmm. We're already covering up so much. That's a good point. But didn't the Rebbe used to say that talking to Hashem that... <clears throat> We did enough already. We did our share. We want Mashiach now. Exactly. So, so, so that's, that, maybe that's the answer to the question, why the Rebbe did continue to answer. Jeff's question, why the Rebbe did continue to answer. Because even though there has to be a different way. A chassid doesn't hit. There has to be a different way from hitting. Maybe let him bring Mashiach already. And, and whether we deserve it or not, or worthy or not, and we are worthy, let him just bring him. And then... But whatever it is, this is wrestling with Hashem. This is, starting with the Baal Shem Tev, this is the way to wrestle with Hashem and say, with Hasidism, we have to have a whole new approach. 
This is not the approach. Hitting, slapping, beating, hurting, that's not, that's not, it's gentle. Hasidus is gentle. It's like alternative medicine. It's gentle. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, modern medicine is very harsh. They burn, they, they slash, they cut, they, it's very harsh. Maybe it's effective, it's very harsh. Alternative medicine is very gentle, very deep, very gentle. So a chassid doesn't hit, chassid is not harsh. Everything is gentle and deep. And so this is maybe the wrestling with Hashem and the prayer to Hashem. It has to be a different way. Not through, not through this, not through hitting. That's why the Rebbe keeps on blessing and alleviating a Jew's pain. Even if the Jew didn't get the message. <laughs> but the Rebbe is pleading with the Jew and saying, come on. You have to reciprocate Hashem's love for us. Hashem is his hitting us is only out of his love for us. So we should turn our face to him, not turn our backs to him. We should appreciate and realize what's going on and realize how loving it is. We should be adults, mature. When the doctor sticks out his needle, stick out your hand. But don't run away. <laughs> don't run for the exit and run and hide. <laughs> You're not a child. Stick out your hand here. <laughs> realize what's going on. Don't run away from Hashem. Realize, don't run away from the message. Don't run away from the dynamics, what's going on here. Now, you're saying it's difficult to be, do soul searching. Yes, especially in our day and age. That's why the Zohar always refers to that a person, we discuss his soul searching, the Zohar uses a very interesting expression. A person should be mare de chujmana, a master accountant, the owner of accounting. What do you mean the owner of accounting? Because there's a difference how an accountant does an accounting and how the owner of the company does the accounting. The difference is the accountant is an employee. As faithful, as good as he is, he's an employee. The business is in the red, the business is in the black. He gets paid, he goes home at night, sleeps like a baby. The master of the business, the owner of the business, who mortgages his house and put his whole life savings on the line, he's not, it's not 18 hours. He's not going home to sleep. If something is wrong in the business, it's his life that's on the line. You know, the accountant, if he loses a job, will go to another business. This is his life. And therefore, he's going to be honest. He has no interest in self-deception. He can't afford self-deception. He has to know the truth. He has to know the good, everything that's working. He has to know the fantastic, everything that's working fantastically. He has to know the bad and the weak. I don't help myself by reading my own press releases and, and, and reading my own propaganda. I need to know the truth. Where do I stand? I need to know Emmas. I have no interest in self-delusion. So that's what the Zohar says. You should be married to Chujman. When a Jew realizes that it's my life, I'm dealing here with my life. I have no interest in deluding myself. I mean, who, I mean, who am I kidding? I fooled myself. What's the big deal to fool a fool? <laughs> I, I, I like that one. <laughs> Rabbi Rashi used to say, I couldn't say, you're fooling yourself. But if you approach it that you're the owner, it's my life, and I own my life. If I own my life, I want to know the truth. I want to know the good, the bad, the ugly, exactly where I stand. I'm not going to minimize the good. I'm not going to minimize my strength. Because that's also ridiculous. I have to know my strengths. 
I have to know my strong points. I have to know my weak points. I have to know what's good, what I have to discard, what I have to strengthen. So when you make a calculation, when something matters to you, we can be honest. When you realize that your spiritual life and your spiritual welfare and well-being and your Jewishness and your relationship and connection with Hashem and with godliness is real and it's then I have no interest in delusion. I want to know the truth. It's important for me to be honest with myself. So we could be honest. If something matters to us, we could be honest. When it comes to money, people care about money, people know how to be brutally honest with themselves. They're not interested in lies and delusions and half-stories. They want the truth, the emmas. So if you care about your spiritual life, and you care about your relationship with Hashem, you'll, you'll approach it the same way. And then you can make an honest accounting. See yourself like others see you which is the most difficult thing in the world, to see ourselves honestly and objectively. It's almost impossible. But if it matters to you and you care about it and you're the master, you treat it that way, then it's possible. So Hashem is not asking of us to do the impossible. But it does take soul-searching and it does take honesty and it does take... So if Hashem is... If, this, if a Jew has pains and aches and pains, it's a wake-up call. It's a time to set aside. Like Alter Rebbe says elsewhere, you, if a person feel, you're feeling in the blues anyway, we all have the blues. You're down anyway. Use that opportunity to do a little soul searching. Maybe it's a signal from heaven. Now is the time to, to, to dig a little into yourself. How am I? What's going on? What's really going on? And how am I doing? You know? Ed Kachi says, stop everyone. How am I doing? It's a time to stop and ask myself, how am I doing? What's really going on? Honestly, I think where it comes back lousy. <laughs> I say, how am I doing? <laughs> I'm not doing no, good. No, but see, but that's, but when you do soul searching, it's not simple. There's good. There's a lot of good. A lot of positive. <laughs> there's strengths. You have to know, no, no, an honest accounting is I got to know everything. I can't, just to say I'm lousy, people think I'm being spiritual. I'm lousy. That's not, that's not, honest accounting is I have to account for everything. I have to know everything. Break it down. What's good? What, what's good and I should continue to strengthen that what's negative and I have to discard what's weak and I have to tweak or make better so you have to it, it, you have to do some honest accounting now today it's very difficult you're right now day and age it seems like we've lost the capacity to do honest accounting when was the last time anyone you know did a little soul searching we know how difficult it is. We know we don't have the zitzflesh. We don't have the head. We don't have the... So the Rebbe pleaded and asked, you should make a rav. Make each one should have a rav. Should have like a uh, mashpia. Someone who you can... A, sound, a sounding board, basically. Someone who can give you honest feedback. Because it's very easy to be brutally honest about someone else. We can't be honest about ourselves. But every one of us has the capacity to be brutally honest about someone else. We can tell you like it is. With no exaggeration, no embellishments, no... Exactly like it is. So we need help. Find a friend who you, who you trust. Ask him to be your sounding board or your mashpia. Share your life with him and ask him. He'll give you honest feedback. The Rebbe pleaded with us that we should do that because we need it so desperately, especially since today's day and age. It is so difficult. We, we lost the art. It's an art. We lost the art of meditation. We lost the art of soul-searching. How many people even have the art of sitting and meditating for an hour or two and reflecting and thinking deeply? And it's almost like a lost art, you know? So you're overlooking the Yetzirah. 
Yeah, yeah, the Atara is, is, is yeah, whatever, whatever the reason, whatever the reason, it's just a fact. Can't argue with facts. It's a reality. It's, it's, it's you get older, you do a lot. You do a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, but, but, but it's, it's an art that you have to cultivate. It's an art that you have to develop. You can't just, it's not a snap of a finger. You know, it's not, everything today is instant. Instant coffee. Even instant coffee is not instant. You have to, <laughs> but everything is instant. It doesn't work. You can't do soul searching if it's an instant. You can't meditate and reflect. There's bindingness in an in instant. It doesn't work that way. You can't. When you eat a meal, could you eat it instantly? You can't. You'll choke. You'll, 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 you won't do, it, do you any good. You have to eat. Digest. True. True well. Digest it. So to spiritually. There's some things in life you can't rush. But everything is rushed today. Eh? No one has a minute. Everyone is rushing, rushing, rushing. In rush, you can't do any soul searching. And you can't meditate and reflect. And you can't go any deeper. You can't go deep down inside. It's almost like a lost art. Everything's so rushed. And constant distractions. And constant noise. And constant... Just stop. Close the door. Close the lights. And just sit. You know, they took CEOs. They took from the top 500 companies. And they took them on a retreat. Three days. Completely no phones. No, no nothing. After three days, they were all going stir crazy. <laughs> they, were, they were climbing the walls. They were like, they, 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 they were lost. Taken away from all the props and all the externals. There was nobody home. They, they, they were just lost. The whole idea of just sitting and being and, and just going deep down inside and being able, having a rich inner life, it's almost non-existent. I mean, let's, let's be honest. It's almost non-existent. So it is a big challenge in our generation. So we can use all the help we can get. <laughs> the Rebbe says, make a rav. We'll make it easier. A hundred years ago, there wasn't, didn't have, we never heard that, make a rav. You didn't need a rav. Every, every Jew davened for a few hours. Every chassid davened for a few hours and meditated and reflected. And before he read the Shema at night, he did a soul searching at least once a week, Thursday before Shabbos. And Shabbos, even the busy person all week sat in shul and davened for hours. And people thought and prayed and meditated and reflected and soul searched. It's almost like a lost art today. I mean, it's, it's, it's like... I mean, most people, they don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> they wouldn't even know how to start. They wouldn't even know where to start. They wouldn't even know the ABCs of what you're talking about. What, 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 it's like climbing a wall, like climbing a straight wall. They go crazy. That was my next question. <laughs> <laughs> where do you start? What do you, what do you, what, what's the process? Okay, so that's, that's not for here. It's <laughs> for discussion. No. <laughs> but here the point is... You will find things that require scouring by means of suffering. He will then clearly see God's great love towards him, which upsets the natural order of divine conduct. As in the simile of a great and awesome king who, out of his immense love for his only son, personally washes off the filth from him. As it is written, when God will wash off the filth from the daughters of Zion, with the spirit of justice. So he says love upsets the natural order of things. When you love someone, you'll do things that are crazy, things that are completely out of the ordinary. The ultimate example is a parent who hits a child. 
it's only out of the ultimate love. That's why King Solomon, the wisest of all men, said, a, a, a parent who never hits a child hates his child. Because what's the ultimate sign of love? In America, everyone loves everyone. It's enough to give you the chills. <laughs> they don't know what the word love means. What's this, what's this real test of love? It's not love. It's indifference. I couldn't care less. Don't bother me. I don't want to be bothered. I won't bother you. You won't bother me. Jump off the bridge. Kill yourself. Who cares? Destroy yourself. Knock yourself out. As long as you don't bother me. That's not love. That, that's indifference. That's I hate you. <laughs> that's basically what we're telling you. Real love is, King Solomon says, when you'll inconvenience yourself and harm yourself for the, because it's better for the good of the other person. A parent, for a parent to hit a child, who does it hurt more? It hurts the child, yes, but nothing in comparison to how much it hurts the parent. A loving parent to have to hit his own child? I'm not talking about an abusive parent, I'm talking about a normal, healthy parent. Why is he doing it? For the sake of the child. That the child shouldn't grow up a vildechaya, a wild Indian. He has to discipline the child. His role in life is not to be his child's best friend. A parent is there to teach and guide the child. Teach them right from wrong. So that's the act of love. When you love, when you truly love, you do something out of the ordinary. You do something that's unnatural. Because you love that person so much. And it's good for them. It's not good for me, but it's good for them. And that's why the child feels feels strengthened by that disciplining because he feels the love. He gets the message, somebody really cares about me. Cares about me enough when the child looks into the eyes of the parents and sees the pain of the parent, that the parent had to lift a finger against his own child. The child feels so reassured, feels so loved. Somebody really cares about me. Versus when your parents spoil the child, the child gets the message, my parents couldn't care less about me. They don't have the time for me, they don't have the energy for me, they couldn't be bothered. I don't have, uh, you know, please let me alone, leave me alone, I'll spoil you, whatever you want. The child gets the message. That's not love. Couldn't care less about me. You know how much energy it takes to discipline a child? To be on top of a child, and to discipline a child, and to care enough, and to watch the child and notice. So Hashem, for Hashem to hit us, for Hashem to cause us pain and suffering, Hashem loves us so much, He feels our pain more than we feel our own pain. It hurts Him more than it hurts us. So that's the ultimate act of love. Hashem loves us so much that He's hurting Himself. He's going out of His way and going beyond His nature and, and hurting us. And that's what we sense. It's like the Father cleaning the child from his dirt, from his schmutz, giving us that bath and scraping us and scrubbing us. This is the ultimate act of life. We're screaming in pain. But I'm not running away. I realize how much my parent loves me, picked me up from the gutter, brought me into the bath and was trying to clean me and to make me like a tamensh. So then, as in water... When one becomes aware of God's great love for him, a love that is expressed by scouring him with the cleansing agent of suffering. I think we'll stop here. So then, right, like a mirror, we'll respond to Hashem also with a reciprocal love for Hashem. A very, very powerful letter. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.